Tonight we're honored to have Pastor Warren Bullock share in the crowning event of our special day of installation here at People's Church. Pastor and Judy Bullock have a rich history here at People's Church dating back into the 60s. Then they went to the Northwest Bible College in Seattle preparing for vocational ministry. They served churches in the Northwest area as a pastor and then later as a district official and then uh, representing the Northwest United States to the Assemblies of God Fellowship. A man with a gentle and a very, very humble spirit and always a person with an uplifting word. You know, our pastor, Pastor Tom, shared this morning about encouraging people and uh, they are that type of people, amen? Pastor and, and Mrs. Judy. One time I asked him, I said, Pastor, I said, how should I introduce you? Doctor, reverend, teacher, author, uh, district superintendent, executive presbyter, he's all of those. But he replied in a humble spirit and he said, how about pastor? The rest of the titles are given by man, pastor is given by God. I like that. So would you join me in giving a great People's Church welcome to Pastor Bullock as he comes to share the great news of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Aren't you glad that you get to come to church? <laughs> and uh, what a wonderful sense of God's presence among us. It's what we pray for, isn't it? That God will meet with us, and certainly he has been doing that. And it's been an interesting thing to see how the Lord has guided our church over several months and uh, we can trust the Holy Spirit to lead us as we ought to be led as the Church of Christ. And uh, so it's wonderful to be part of that. I'm so happy that the families could be here uh, for Tom and Jennifer. Thank you for coming. We appreciate that so very, very much. I thought maybe I would try to carry on a, a tradition that Pastor Erickson started, and that is to tell a Norwegian joke. <laughs> no offense to any Norwegians who were here. But this Norwegian went into the store and he said to the clerk there, he said, I'd like some lutefisk. And some of you don't have a clue what lutefisk is. It is the most abominable food you could ever eat. And the man says, no, no, we're, we're, we don't have any lutefisk. Are, by the way, would you be Norwegian? And the man got incensed. He said, now, if I'd asked for French bread, would you have asked if I was French? If I'd asked for Wiener Schnitzel, would you ask if I was German? If I asked for a taco, would you ask if I was Mexican? And the clerk said, no. Well, then why did you ask me I was Norwegian? He said, this is Home Depot. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I almost feel like I need to ask the Lord to forgive me for that. <laughs> 
This evening, for a little while, I'd like to look at Acts chapter 20 and share with you uh, an incident in the life of Paul. He meets with the Ephesian elder, elders for the last time and has words of instructions for them as to how the church of Jesus should be led. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Now that was not good news for those Ephesians because they, they loved Paul. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. In our culture, we're very much accustomed to symbols or logos, if you want to call them that. For instance, if I say golden arches, what am I talking about? Have you been there? <laughs> so if I talk to you about five interlocking rings, three at the top and two at the bottom, what does that bring to mind? The Olympics. If I wear a baseball hat with an N with a Y or laid on each other, what team do you think I'm thinking about? These are all symbols. They're not the real thing. And by the way, you will never, ever see me in a New York Yankee hat. But in church, we have symbols too. One of the best known and best loved is the cross. It means a lot to us, doesn't it? The symbol is not the reality but it reminds us of the reality. The same is true when we take communion and the bread and the cup represent the body and the blood of Jesus. Some do teach that as, you, if, as the priest blesses it, it actually does become the body and the blood of Jesus. We don't believe that. We believe they are symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. I, I have a little symbol that I have that I don't think is meaningful to anybody else. I like to carry my Bible to church. And uh, I wanted to say to me, you are and always will be a Bible man. In the mid-1800s, late 1800s, Charles Spurgeon was pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. It was said of him that if you scratched him, he would bleed Bible. 
Don't anybody scratch me tonight after church, please. Remember, there's no power in the symbols. The power is in what they represent. And tonight I want to use symbols to illustrate what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. I want to talk about three primary functions of the pastor. They're certainly not all the functions of the pastor, but these three are suggested by our text. Pastor Walbert going to help me here. And the first symbol, as you might expect, as you have read this passage, this first symbol is the shepherd's staff. Now you should remember this staff from last week. This is the staff that Pastor Erickson gave to Pastor Tom, sort of in the sense of a baton being passed in leadership for our church. And Tom received that. And it was a smooth exchange. And we thank the Lord for it. Paul was passing the baton to the Ephesians. He'd never go back to Ephesus. He said, you're never going to see my face again. So he's saying to them, the ministry now is up to you. You've got to take the shepherd's step. Be shepherds of the flock of God. As you know, the word for pastor equals shepherd. And pastor, the word pastor is not mentioned very often in the New Testament, but the concept of pastor, of shepherd, is all through the Bible. Probably the, the idea of the shepherd finds its most important reference to Christ. In John 10, he's the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, he's the great shepherd. In 1 Peter, he's the chief shepherd. This implies that there are other shepherds over which Jesus Christ is leading. Some of these we call pastors. The terms imply that we are sheep before we're shepherds. We're the sheep of Jesus, but we're shepherds of the flock that he's given to us. We're good followers of Christ before we are good leaders of Christ's church. Of the many things that Jesus does for us as our shepherd, and of the many things a pastor does for his flock, here are three. The shepherd leads the flock. I don't know if there are enough older people here to remember the days of Westerns on television and on the screen. Of course, I'm not that old, but uh, I heard Pastor Bill say he remembered Bonanza. There's the, the Ponderosa. Remember that one? And uh, the one my parents didn't like me to watch was The Rifleman. Killed someone every episode. 
not very political cor uh, correct right now. But the central part of many of the plots was the cattle drive. And cowboys would drive the cattle to town where they'd be purchased, but on the way you could usually expect a gunfight where the good guys tried to keep the bad guys from rustling all the cattle. I can guarantee you, you never saw cowboys trying to drive sheep. If they tried, it would be sheer chaos. You can't drive sheep. You have to lead them. And David, the shepherd king, says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He doesn't drive us. He goes ahead of us, asks us to follow. And some of us as leaders have learned by hard experience that you can't drive sheep. And you end up with confusion and conflict. But because the pastor has been called to be a shepherd, God helps him to see things that the sheep do not see. He has a vantage point of the church that no one else has. And people say, well, what's, what's pastor doing? His vision is for still waters and for green pastures. The vision of the people is their shepherd, which is a good thing, but the pastor has to look beyond that to the provision of the sheep. And when they stop following the shepherd and decide to leave, lead themselves, they get hopelessly scattered and sometimes lost. A couple of years ago, I served as an interim pastor for a little while during a time of pastoral transition and I would have people come up to me, and though they said it in different ways, they would say to me, you know, we just want a pastor who will tell us where we're going so we can get behind him and follow him. I thought that was such a great concept of both roles, the shepherd and the sheep. And they did get a pastor like that, by the way. They needed clarity about where the pastor is leading them. And our pastor's going to lead us in a clear path. And we're going to follow as God leads him. Can you say amen? amen? Then the shepherd feeds the flock. The King James translate be shepherds of the church of God as feed the church of God. It's significant that when ministry gifts of Ephesians 4 are given, the pastor and teacher are linked together. They are the same gift. They're not separate offices, but one. He feeds the flock. Paul was able to say, say to the elders in the passage that we read, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. We have been blessed as a congregation to have had for 21 years a consistent, balanced, biblical diet from our pastor teacher. I've heard Pastor Tom preach enough times to know that diet is not going to change. The sheep want to hear a fresh word from the Lord. And that fresh word is always uplifting. 
encouraging, life-giving, anointed, centered in Jesus. We all need to know there's forgiveness for the past, that there's peace for the present, and there's hope for the future. Your shepherd will feed you a good spiritual diet. By the way, that's not enough for you to reach full maturity. What if we ate only one meal a week? I know what I'd be doing on the third day, I'd be chewing on the furniture. <laughs> a 30-minute message from pastor won't sustain you forever. You need to feed yourselves as well. The second symbol that we want to remind you of from this passage comes from the word so be on your guard. And I symbolize that by a sword. I'm going to see if I can get this out. Oh, boy. Oh, oh. You better be careful with this or I'll stab myself. <laughs> when David the shepherd boy faced a lion and then a bear, he took each of them in order to spare his flock. And this is an aspect of the pastor job that we don't talk a lot about, and yet it's an essential part of the shepherd's assignment. So what does the shepherd guard? He guards our doctrine. The New Testament is filled with warnings about false teachers who will lead the church astray from biblical truth. Jesus even warned about false Christs who would come to to confuse the, the people. And in our day, as you well know through social media, there are all sorts of aberrant doctrines floating about, even in Christian circles. I wish I had a list of all the so-called prophets who predicted that Trump would win the election. Can I advise you of something? I'm going to, anyway. Don't pass on to someone else if you haven't checked it out and know it to be true. Because a lot of untruths can be sent to many people and then they base what they believe on that and people get led astray and the church can get led astray. Well, every Christian should be on their guard. Every pastor should guard his flock against the purveyors of Baal. He does that first by, pre by teaching truth. If you know the truth, you'll recognize error when you hear it. That's why we fill our hearts and minds with the words, so that if doctrine floats our way and it's wrong, we recognize it immediately. So we saturate ourselves with this truth Thank God for the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The truth of the Word will save us from dealing with a lot of doctrinal error.
The pastor guards his people by safeguarding the pulpit, which simply means he is careful about whom he allows to teach and preach from the pulpit. I think maybe he made a wrong decision tonight, but other than that, I learned the hard way as a pastor that you need to be sure of the people that you ask to come to your church and minister. I had recently taken a new church in Tacoma, and uh, we'd been getting acquainted, as Pastor Tom and Jennifer have over the last few months, and getting to know people, getting to know what they did, trying to find out some of the things about their spiritual life, all of that. So we didn't know everyone well. But I got a call one day from one of the ladies in our church. I knew who she was, but not well. And she said, Pastor, you know what? I just heard the most amazing singers. And, and we need to have them come to our church. They are just absolutely fantastic. And she raved about them for a while. And I said, well, what, what's their name? They're called the New Life Singers. Well, I believe in new life. I believe in singing. <laughs> so on her recommendation, I booked them for a Sunday night. And we advertised very well. The church was full. However, I had not prepared a message. They were going to be the, not the entertainment, they were to be the ministry that night. So I went out in the foyer as they came in, and like, like we do, we go over the service and how much time they have and when to turn it back over to me. They were just the nicest young people. And they said, well, was it all right if we put out some of our literature? Do you ever have the Holy Spirit wave a red flag in your soul? I said, can I, can I look at your literature? And they brought over some of it, and I discovered it was from the Unification Church with Sun Myung Moon. How many of you are not Assemblies of God? Did I, did I tell you that the place was full? I said to these very nice young people, I said, well, not only can you not put your literature out, but I'm sorry, I can't let you sing here tonight. Oh, why? We just want to encourage people, and we love people, and we love to sing. And I said, no. Uh, Sun Myung Moon and I are about as far apart as they can get. I had heard him speak when he first came to the United States, got an engraved invitation when I was in Portland to go to a hotel and hear him speak. I took one of the men of our church with me, and we went there and heard him speak. His enunciation of doctrinal sin was not too wrong, but when he came to things about the cross, he says that Jesus made a great mistake to be crucified. And he said he was not the Messiah, and I am the Messiah. 
So my friend and I walked out. I didn't need to hear any more. But I wasn't about to let these young people sing for my church. Did I tell you that I didn't prepare a message? <laughs> but when I bit, went back into the church and got ready for the service, I thought, now what, what am I going to say here? And I just told them the truth. I said, your pastor blew it. He scheduled somebody that we can't have sing at this church. And I explained the whole thing to them. And I, w I was absolutely stunned when they gave me a standing ovation. And it's sort of, that experience tended to confirm my leadership in that new church. Here's a pastor who will stand up against that which is wrong. And the pastor's going to guard this pulpit. The shepherd guards against wolves. Did you get that in the text? He calls them savage. What's surprising is that he says they'll come from your own number. They're not wolves from attacking from the outside, but wolves that rise from within. They are indeed wolves in sheep's clothing, and they wreak havoc in the church. So be on your guard. And when you read the writings of Paul, he, he tells us about some of them. He names some of them by name. The Judaizers, the opposers, the deserters, the dividers. So be on your guard. And can I say this to this congregation to sort of flip the guard concept? There are times when we stop being sheep and start being warriors. I'm thinking not only in terms of intercession, principalities and powers and so forth that we pray against, but we need to spiritually guard our pastors. Guard your pastor by prayer, by kindness, by grace, by forgiveness. Guard his time. Don't take advantage of him. Guard him from those who might oppose him. We can save the shepherd and his family a lot of grief by our faithful encouragement of them. In churches where I pastored, I have often gone to my pastoral staff meeting and said to them, I want you to keep an eye on so-and-so because their spirit did not register with my spirit. And I didn't know why they were coming or what their purposes were, but I came to learn that some of them were there to undercut the ministry if they could. So let's not, we don't want to be seeing a devil behind every bush, but we need to be guard, guarding one another for the sake of the kingdom of God. And then finally, the third, oh, the third symbol is the overseer's mantle. The text says, keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you 
overseers. This is not a real mantle. It's a prayer shawl from the Holy Land. Is that all right? So Paul says to the Ephesian elders, the flock you are to lead and the flock you are to feed over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. The key point of what he was saying is that we have to recognize who makes an overseer an overseer. And that's the Holy Spirit. Pastor Tom and family, you're not here today because Pastor Erickson was persuasive. Or because the deacon board was discerning. You're not even here because of the vote of the congregation. You are here because the Holy Spirit appointed you to be here. I'm, I'm not opposed to the vote, but I believe that the vote is to confirm what the leadership already believes to be the will of God, and we're saying amen to it. Amen. I was thinking this morning while you were preaching. No, I, I was listening, but I was just doing a little side trip. There are about 35,000 ministers in the Assemblies of God. God, the Holy Spirit, did not make any one of them to be overseer. Not the 34,499th. He chose Pastor Tom to be the overseer here at People's Church at this time in its history. And he didn't choose anyone else. There's no backup. There's no second choice. This is not first, second, and third as you run away. No, there's only one. You are God's man, Pastor, for where you are right now. And in the course of your preaching this morning, you said about Peter, out of, and you asked, out of all the people in the world, why, why would God select Peter? Would, would you choose Peter to be the preacher at Pentecost? And I thought to myself, out of all the people in the world, God, the Holy Spirit, only appointed one person to be our pastor, and that's Pastor Tom. The process of leadership succession today is not really simple. It used to be Elijah heard the word of the Lord telling him to go and anoint Elisha to succeed him as a prophet. So Elijah went and found Elisha. He was out plowing. He must have been a farmer. And the scripture says that Elijah went up to him and threw his mantle over him. 
his cloak. That was it. That's the call. Wasn't it, wouldn't it be easy <laughs> if someone had just come along and say, well, you're it. But you know, Elisha didn't succeed Elijah immediately. For several years, he served as Elijah's attendant. The scripture says that he poured water on the hands of the prophet. He was a servant to Elisha, to Elijah. But later, the servant becomes a prophet. Now, that's a whole different sermon, and I won't preach it. But the story of his succession is really quite remarkable. They're both in Gilgal. Anybody know where Gilgal is? And Elijah says to Elisha, I'm, I'm going to go down to Bethel. You, you stay here and wait until I come back for you. Elijah says, no, that's not going to work. I'm going to go wherever you're going to go. And then it says the company of the prophets came to Elijah and says, do you know that the Lord's going to take your master today? And he says, yes, I know, but don't talk about it. Sometimes we share too many of the Lord's secrets. So then when he's at Bethel, Elijah says, I want to go to Jericho. Oh, no. And you go through the whole process again. After Jericho, he says, I'm going to go to the Jordan, and you just stay here. Oh, no, Elijah's not going to do that. And the company of prophets every time says what they say. And Elijah comes to the waters with his cloak and his mantle, and he parts the waters with his mantle. And finally, Elisha asks, or Elijah asks Elisha, what do you want? Elisha's been waiting for this. He says, I want a double portion of your spirit to be on me. And suddenly a chariot of fire and a whirlwind came and whipped Elijah, Elijah up into heaven. Just absolutely amazing. He's one of only two persons in the Bible who never died. And Elisha is left standing there. He says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Can you imagine how it was when, if Elijah had gone up and you'd seen him? But I, I, I have some thoughts about this. This is, the thoughts I have are not in your Bible. This is Bullock, not Bible. But if I were Elisha and the chariots of fire had disappeared and the 
whirlwind had dissipated and Elisha's left standing there all by himself. If I were he, I think I'd be saying to myself, where's my double portion? I don't understand. You, Elijah he promised that I would get a double portion of the Spirit, and where is it? I don't know how to get it. I don't know if there's something I'm supposed to do. But as he looked up into the sky, he saw a little speck. If I'd have been there, I'd have put on my glasses. And that speck began to get larger and larger and larger. And eventually, Elisha recognized it was the mantle of the prophet. And it fell to the ground. And the first thing he did was pick it up and go to the Jordan and cry, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the waters parted, and he walked through on dry ground. The company of the prophet saw it and said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. I want you to hear what I'm going to say now. No one in the work of God can succeed without the mantle of the Holy Spirit. We have some amazing Christian leaders that can be bright and innovative and entrepreneurial, experienced, even bold. It is not enough. You need the mantle of the Holy Spirit if you're gonna be in the work of God. And in Elisha's case, that mantle began to represent something to him. It was Elijah's mantle that came to him. But I'm happy to say on Pentecost Sunday that since Pentecost, we don't have to have another person's mantle. We can have one of our own. The mantle of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Tom, you are not taking up Pastor Erickson's mantle. Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire, left his mantle behind. Pastor Erickson went to Virginia on a 737, and he left with the mantle. <laughs> Took the mantle with him, because he still has a lot of ministry ahead of him, and he needs that mantle to help him in that task. But we can have one of our own. The assemblies of God cannot give us the mantle. The deacon board cannot anoint you. Only the Holy Spirit can. This excellent pastoral staff doesn't give you the power. The Holy Spirit does. You don't have to use anyone else's mantle to part the waters. You can use your own mantle, the mantle of the Holy Spirit, the mantle of power, and you cannot part the waters without it. 
You can't possibly succeed without the mantle of the Holy Spirit. I have put Pastor and Tom, Pastor Tom and Jennifer, at the top of my prayer list with their family. And underneath their names, I have printed double portion. And I encourage you to do the same. That through our pastor, he will lead us in ways and in places we never dreamed of. Not because of who he is, but because of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is infinitely creative. He has ways of reaching people that we haven't begun to think of yet. And pastor with the mantle of the Spirit, you can be the shepherd God has called you to be. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We're thankful that just as they were on the day of Pentecost, we have been endued with power from on high. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to release the Spirit into our own hearts and minds, the way we think, what we do, the people we see, that the Holy Spirit will be leading us, that we'll not just do it because, well, that's what you do, but we will have the mind of Christ to go down paths we would never go down on our own, but when we go, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit goes with us, and we have a pastor who's leading us. And we thank you, Lord, for the divine anointing that is on Pastor Tom. We give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Tom.